You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Thank you again so much for being here. This episode is proof that the internet can be a good place. I know. I know what you're thinking. That's impossible. It's been overrun. It's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. But that's not all it is. Well, for instance, you're hearing uh, this podcast via the internet right now, so that's not too bad of a deal. Additionally, if I hadn't shared a video of Mike McCready from Pearl Jam violently smashing a guitar on stage in Amsterdam, this episode would never have happened. And this episode is rather interesting, in my opinion. Kai West is a musicologist. He's actually working on his PhD in that field. And he spent a tremendous amount of time studying the history of guitar smashing. Now, that might seem kind of ridiculous, but I think as this conversation will show you, there is a lot to this. There is a lot to smashing a guitar in particular. And while this might sound kind of stupid, if you look at the comments section of any guitar smash video, I think you'll understand why it might be a worthy discussion. This is almost like a history slash discussion around like the ethics of breaking an instrument, which seems kind of silly, but well, let's get into it. Let's uh, not waste any more time. Let's get into this episode with Kai West. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Kai West, who, well, I'll let him tell his story because it's uh, it's pretty interesting, and he's on here very, for a very specific reason, and I think it will be a, an interesting discussion, probably not able to be had anywhere but here, so I'm excited to get into it. How's it going, man? Doing good. Thanks so much for having me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess in your own words, let's uh, go through your backstory and then, you know, how that led up to the message that you sent me and <laughs> what what we're doing here today. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I'm, a, I, I'm a musicology um, doctoral student, a musicologist at the uh, University of Michigan. I'm doing a doing a PhD, um, and I'm a popular music studies scholar, sort of fan, participant, all of the above. Uh, and I'm writing a dissertation about uh, electric guitar culture and electric guitar culture sort of in the 21st century and uh, with some sort of, you know, attention to the history and everything of it. And, um, you know, th that's what my work sort of focuses on, on musical instruments and popular music. And I'm a, you know, gear and guitar obsessed person, like uh, imagine um, uh, most of the listeners on this podcast are. Um, and uh, I came to it in an interesting sort of way. Like I actually, uh, um, I was a, before I became a musicologist, before I went to grad school, I was a performing classical musician, not a guitar player. I was a, a classical double bassist and I played in orchestras for oh. like a de for a decade. 
Wow. So that that was like my sort of. I had this weird. I, I had grown up playing guitar and playing instruments uh, and playing, you know, bass guitar and guitar, and then sort of went off in this classical music direction, and now came back to it. So I've always been obsessed with musical instruments, but I've had kind of a twisty, turny sort of journey to get to where I am now. Um, and uh, so. By way, so to get to where we are, at, how we actually got connected. Um, so I'm writing one of the chapters that I'm writing for my dissertation, and what will hopefully, you know, ideally end up being being a book after the dissertation is finished. Uh, I'm writing a chapter about guitar smashing, about the <laughs> history of guitar smashing, and the tra and thinking about it as this like tradition in electric guitar or in guitar culture more broadly, because people also smash acoustic guitars, but. Uh, I wound up just going down this rabbit hole with with guitar smashing going back to the 1960s. And uh, so I saw recently um, that, that you posted a video of Mike McGreedy smashing a guitar at a recent Pearl Jam concert. Uh, and... I got super excited because, first of all, I hadn't seen that particular video. And if you, you know, for people who haven't seen it, check it out uh, because it's really quite something. Uh, and I just contacted you sort of out of the blue, I, you know, and I was a little nervous about it, but I was just like, hey, I'm writing this chapter, like spent thousands of hours thinking about guitar smashing. Do you want to have a conversation about it? And I was, you know, pleased that you your answer was yes. Like, let's go deep on this. So that's what I'm doing here. Yeah, I love it. I love it because, you know, it's something that has changed, I think, over the years, at least as far as the general public's view on it. Uh, what people think about, and it's it's one of the oddest things in my view. Uh, like people don't get that upset about, uh, you know, even even unless you're a classic car enthusiast, you don't like get mad when they smash a vintage car in a movie generally, and and much like guitars, especially vintage ones, there's only so many of those cars around, and so when I see that in movies, I'm like, ah, why no, you know, like. <laughs> There's only there's only so many 69 chargers in the world. <laughs> how how can how could you do it? Don't do it. Yeah. And then, you know, and with guitars, I obviously I love guitars. I I I'm very passionate about the instrument. But as I've dove deeper into the world of of uh manufacturing, it has become apparent to me that there are lots and lots and lots of guitars. And even down to, um, we have an ad running currently that many of the listeners may have seen uh, for Stringjoy that we we put together a script and uh, hired some actors and a film crew and, and everything to make what, you know, kind of a funny ad. We just thought, you know, we're going to be pushing this content out to people. Let's make it funny let's make it you know useful in some way rather than just a hey here's our stuff you know mm -hmm. um and in that scott takes a like 80 dollar amazon telecaster style guitar and throws it on the ground now in the video it looks like he does it pretty aggressively in i saw the actual cut it's like the guitar is fine you know it might have a scratch on it, <laughs> but it, it it's it's fine but even taking it a step further it's actually getting fixed up and set up really nicely by a luthier who's giving it to 
a friend of his. But still, like the yeah. number one negative thing on the video is like, we love your strings, but why'd you have to smash a guitar? And some people even go as far as to suggest that it's uh, promoting violence. And while I can right. kind of understand that sentiment, and it certainly could be used violently, uh, I think it, a classic uh, example would be uh, the basis for The Damned uh, would bop him on the boggin, I think is how he would refer it to <laughs> when he would hit people with his bass guitar. That's violent. You know, that's not necessarily... That's violence. Yeah. yeah. That's not good. But uh, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings on it, and that's why I wanted to come come talk to you. But what was astounding to me is I think back in the day it was viewed as this like performance art aspect, you know, to the show. It was right. part of the show. And now... 80% of the comments, maybe more, are, you should not do that. You should give that to a kid. You should do X, Y, Z. And I, I can see both sides, but I think it's an interesting conversation to have regardless. So maybe start with the the history of it. Like, I don't even really know yeah. where to dive in first, but I think I'll let you take the reins on that. I, I thought I, I thought about that in terms of like how how I was I sort of went with how I'm kind of organizing this chapter that I'm writing about it, which is sort of chronological and sort of um, more topics based, like thinking about the value, how we think about value with the instruments or how different people have thought about what guitar smashing actually is. But as you I think you I think you have a good idea in terms of talking starting with a little bit of the history of it because there is sort of a it's basically uh what I've kind of figured out as I've gone through and sort of looked looked through the history of it is there's about a 70 year 65 to 70 year tradition or or like that that guitar smashing specifically as a practice has been going on. Mhm. Um, with obviously Jimi Hendrix and Pete Townsend being viewed as the both the sort of progenitors of it and also the sort of pinnacle, like, you know, today, almost everybody, if you look at comment threads, they're going to say something about Pete Townsend and something about Jimi Hendrix, whether yep. it's, you know, Pete Townsend did it better or, you know, or different arguments. And we can talk about that maybe later on of different arguments people make about those guitar heroes but that was what sort of pulled me into guitar smashing in the first place like as i was sort of looking at guitar culture and looking at the idea of the guitar hero these figures that have become these sort of achieved mythological status within you know popular culture and within guitar culture and i saw that well i thought well, this thing, this guitar destroying, I mean, and by smashing, I mean a number of different things, not just, um, you know, bashing the instrument, but other other ways of destroying it. Um, these two, like, it's part of the guitar canon, you know, uh, that, that in really interesting ways, these sort of super influential people that did it. Um, but what I actually figured out uh, when I went back to the 1960s and was looking at, um, you know, other examples of instrument destruction in different kinds of music. Um, so you have, uh, you've got Townsend first, like, smashing, a, accidentally breaking a guitar at the Railway Tavern in 1964. Um, I didn't realize that was an accident. Often cited... Yeah, so that this is a this is a great story um and one that that sort of circulates if you kind of look into what people have said about guitar smashing or articles written about it that sort of thing. Um 
yeah, they were at a gig and he was he was doing his sort of really acrobatic, physical kind of um, playing that he was developing at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he it was a low ceiling. And I think he he smacked the headstock or he did the particular flourish and he whacked it and the guitar actually like broke a little and he was so mad he was sort of mad at himself and just like in the moment and everything and just decided okay i'm gonna just destroy this okay got it and then and then everybody and then of course um keith moon immediately followed he saw him doing it and he was like i'm gonna smash my drums too (laughs) and just incredible you know incredible and but that word word got out really quickly and people actually started to come to see them like wondering oh are it you know is he gonna smash an instrument you know and the press sort of got wind of it so it became a one of the things that people wrote about the who like journalists and stuff uh early on in their careers like that was one of the things that got them attention so the idea of it as like a spectacle or something right um but what I figured out and what I've actually learned is if you if you look further back in history, you see examples of other musicians who were who were similar to guitarists but not guitarists damaging their instruments on purpose as part of the like a spectacle or part of their sort of performing right. thing. So there's this um there's this uh, violinist, violin virtuoso, one of the first sort of virtuoso violinists named Nicolo, uh, Nicolo Paganini, who you've probably you know, maybe heard of. Sounds familiar, um, yeah. Used to... Uh, there have been some, like, guitar shredders that have taken Paganini pieces and, like, done them uh, done them on gu- guitar versions. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I can't think of people who have done it, but you, some YouTube stars. Um but Paganini is noted to uh, s- supposedly used to take uh, scissors, take scissors and clip off three of the four violin strings on his violin and just play on one string as like a way of demonstrating wow, cool. his virtuosity. So, and then there are like these examples of different instrument destruction happening in that context and other contexts as well. Um, that are going up through so it's like a thing that extends beyond guitar um beyond guitar specifically but it hasn't taken root in culture in like that in anywhere but guitar so like from 1964 onwards basically like it's been a thing that is been increasingly sort of uh understood and like like almost memed culturally by this point so like it just became a thing and you can follow this sort of history of like from person to person to person and different musical developments and different uh different artists smashing and so i have a list here of you know i made maybe a list of 12 different um probably more 20 different examples from like six from the 60s to now of different people who've done it and some you some people may know some people may not um i'll also put out the call to anybody uh who knows of other examples that we don't Mm -hmm. talk about today let me know like i'm always looking for i'm always looking for more different people who do it you know i'm trying to put together a comprehensive list well don't tell the internet Um, but i've done it okay what times (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i have oh you have yeah, yeah. uh yeah oh, i have done okay. it uh and you know 
it's funny because one time I actually did post the results of it and people were similarly mad, but it wasn't, I'm obviously not Mike McCready, so it, <laughs> and it wasn't quite that wild of a thing. So it wasn't as big of a deal, uh, to a lot of people, but it's funny because it doesn't matter seemingly what the instrument is in, in my case. So I smashed, I smashed one, right. I think it might've been recorded on VHS a million years ago. It didn't go very well. It wasn't very uh, dramatic, but and uh, it was already broken, like which is why we got permission to smash it because it was already irreparable. Basically, oh, nothing's irreparable, but it it wasn't worth repairing. You know, it was a very cheap cheap guitar. Right, it right. was split down the middle of the neck, like the headstock was kind of broken off, and we like secured it back on with glue just to aesthetically make it look like a guitar still, and I blew it up on a rock i didn't do a very good job of it but like we were playing a backyard party and we thought it would be fun because it was and it was fun admittedly um the one that everybody saw or not everybody the one that people did see is uh, i've had this ten dollar acoustic laying around forever and then it was it was literally the kid's toy they would they would play with it and jump on it and like it it, it was it didn't work it you couldn't play it if you would have taken to a tech, they would have told you, right. like, sure, we can fix this. It's going to cost you, you know, $400 for this $10, very, very badly made guitar. It was, it just wasn't worth having. And then it got a, a small crack and it was like, okay, this thing's in the way. And I was like, oh, let's have some fun with it before it goes though, you know? And so my wife took a video of me smashing it on the, uh, the pavement and it, I posted that and I posted the, uh, the pictures and people a lot of the comments were very similar to the Mike McCready. Like, I, there's no reason ever to smash an instrument. There's no reason ever to do that. You should have given it to a kid. Right. And it was like, here's the thing. Kids had it, and they broke it, and it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> Kids are the reason this it, yeah, thing exactly. got smashed in the first place. And it place. <laughs> didn't really work before they had it, you know. It was, it was not really a functioning instrument. And so I didn't feel bad at all. Um I still don't feel bad, and I I appreciate the argument of you should give it to a kid. I also think when people say that, what are the, what does that really mean? You know, which kid? How do you give right. it to them? Right. You know what? You know, uh, Ryan Burke from Sixty Cycle Hum, he dropped a guitar off of a bridge for a video of again a cheap guitar that had been put through the ringer, uh, and people said the same thing. So he got another guitar. Drove to yep. a random guitar center, saw some kid in the parking lot, gave it to him on the video, and people's response is, well, you shouldn't have given it to that kid. That kid's clearly, like, doing fine. <laughs> you know, you should, should have given it to a different kid. And it was like, okay, okay. I mean, what, yeah. like, how far do you want it to go, you know? It's kind of weird. It raises, some, it raises some pretty interesting questions when you start looking at the different positions that people take mm -hmm. about guitar smashing and that you know and how divisive it is um especially when you look at the viral stuff that happened like yes. for example phoebe bridgers is that's the that's the the pinnacle of of that argument being sort of front and center and like extensive in terms of different people saying different things about either why it's okay and good to do it and why it's bad to do it, you know? And that that argument you see going way back in terms of, oh, you know, anyone could use that instrument. Like, so many people would kill for that instrument. Like, it's, 
you know, it, it's so wasteful. Um, but if you look at these, if you think about the supply of guitars, as you were saying, like that these are mass manufactured products. And if you start thinking about the value that we place on them, like then that, you know, that argument can be, uh, can, can be sort of, I don't know, can, can be problematic or it can, it, it, it can raise the question of like, well, why is the person immediately jumping to that particular conclusion? And it seems to happen so many times. So like one example, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with probably the most incredible example of guitar smashing ever okay um are you are you familiar with the seminal hard rock casino and hotel uh yes yes i know what you're talking in about Holly, in mm-hmm. in hollywood florida yep. do you know um so so are you familiar with the guitar smash that took place in relation to that casino? oh man this sounds really familiar but i don't i don't remember the details i i know there's a so, connection so um it, they had they held this event. So first of all, their their ceremonial guitar smashing has become a hard rock casino like opening tradition. Mm-hmm. Where when they open a new location, they actually smash guitars that are branded like hard rock, you know, uh, and like they do that like a ribbon cutting ceremony. Okay. Um, okay. So so it's. That's super interesting just to think about guitar smashing as a ritual like that, as a sort of cultural or ceremonial ritual, which is one of the ways that I'm kind of looking at it in an academic context. But um, so at the Hard Rock in, I think it's 20, I believe it's 2010. I want to double check that and make sure I'm, I'm, I'm right about that. Um, yeah. They smashed over 1900 guitars. Oh, wow. Uh, Whoa. Okay. In order to, here's, here's the kicker. So in order to, for the, to celebrate the opening of a new parking garage. So not, not just the, (laughs) not the casino itself, but a parking garage called the Winner's Way, Winner's Way Parking Garage. And they had, I think, close to 2000 um, guitar people. Guitars that people all were invited to the opening and who all smashed uh, together at the same time. That was the thing is like, we're going to do the biggest guitar smash or the most guitars ever broken at one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they did that. And they said that it, that the Guinness, like the Guinness Book of World Records, somebody from the Guinness Book of World Records was there, was on hand to, um, to, to, make note of that i haven't been able to track down the like specific like on the guinness book of world records website or or their materials I, to find out whether that's actually like on record as the most guitars smashed at once right but uh what's interesting about that uh, it, the way it relates to uh it's epic if you look at the at the at the video and of the in the pictures it's it's epic um but what's interesting about it is they specifically said that these are not musician quality guitars. So like these guitars were, I don't know if they're plywood or something like they're not, they're not instruments that people would want to play no matter who, who you are. So like the $10 guitar that you're talking about, the acoustic. Um, And they also, after the smash happened, um, they donated twenty five thousand dollars to um to mu- to school music education 
to a school cool. music education program. Cool. So like that, you know, it's there's that element of like, oh, it's so wasteful. You should never do it because it's so wasteful. Well, in some cases, people are doing it and then they're giving way more than those guitars were worth to to help music education. So it's like, you know, you sort of have to ask yourself, well, how far does that argument extend? And or what's behind that argument, you know, like, why are you so critical of this particular practice? And we can sort of get into that because there are different arguments, too. Yeah, it seems like, you know, sometimes people are mad about somebody smashing literal garbage. Like, it's like <laughs> you're mad that that I'm breaking something that essentially just looks like a guitar. You know, it, it barely right. is a guitar at, at this point, and people s still get upset about it because of, probably because of the performative nature of it, you know? It's like Pete, Pete yeah. Townsend broke a real, probably pretty, would have been a pretty expensive uh, bass at this point, you know, a legit instrument, right? And people have right. broken legit quality instruments in in the name of performance, Hendrix roasted some pretty nice strats, I think. Uh, yep. So, you know, it, yep. it's, it definitely does happen. But I think I even wonder when I'm looking at that Mike McCready video that we talked about. Now, granted, he's smashing a lot of things in that video, but the guitar in particular. <laughs> it's a special one for that reason. Yeah, it, yeah. It, looks like, it looks like the way that strat exploded down the middle, I would hazard a guess that that's happened to that guitar before. You know, um, yes, I think I yeah. think I don't know this for a fact, but after like watching it several times and then a lot of that explosion factor, it does look like he hit maybe his pick bowl or something uh, that was on top of the pedal board or it got somehow picks ended up in the mix. I'm not sure exactly how, but there's yeah. definitely some picks flying. Uh, but I think I would think that guitar was. That was its purpose. Like I think it's been put back it's together to be smashed. I think it's been put back together multiple times, very you know very quickly in between shows, and that's what happens with that particular guitar. Now, you can right. make an argument that it should be put back together into playing condition potentially, um, but at the same time, you know, you were talking about the volume of guitars that exist in the world. You know, this is something that Scott and I were talking about. Scott from Stringjoy and I were talking about with when we were getting criticisms on that video because it's an it's an Amazon brand guitar and I don't know if a lot of people realize this when you buy something from Amazon and it's specifically warehoused by Amazon, you know, through Prime or whatever and you return it 9 times out of 10 that does not go back on the shelf. It goes in the garbage right. and the the right. retailer Whoever is selling through Amazon, they just have to eat it. Amazon just charges them for it. So I know we we all seem yeah. like it all seems like Amazon has this great customer service and and uh, they they always take care of me. Sometimes they let me keep the thing. Sometimes they they you know they just have me send it back and refund me immediately. They don't necessarily look at anything. They just say customer says it's broken, throw it in the garbage. By the way, retailer, here's your bill for that. You know, <laughs> so all that to say is. There are a lot of guitars on Amazon, and yeah, right, if that guitar right. was, some people did say like you should just return it if it it doesn't matter. And it, the point is, there are a lot of guitars that get destroyed every single day by Amazon that nobody ever sees and nobody's outraged about because nobody cares or nobody knows about it. 
And you can make an argument that those should be set up and donated to music education programs. And we're back. Uh, we had a little bit of a uh, technical difficulty there, so we've switched things around a little bit, and hopefully we've got a better connection now and we can finish the rest of this podcast. But uh, anyway, uh, we did actually record through some of our technical difficulties, but it wasn't really audible. So we're going to go back over a couple of things that we just talked about the last 10 minutes or so. Basically, I was asking Kai, like, we've talked about Hendrix, we've talked about Townsend, we've talked about, you know, notable, very notable guitar smashing incidents so far. Who are some of the forgotten heroes of the guitar smash and like what did they contribute to this you've obviously got a list of influential smashes here and let's let's go back over a couple of those so um the first person that i wanted to talk about uh that i spend pretty extensive amount of time writing about and that, I, that i've spent a good size uh good sized amount of time researching is um wendy o williams from the band the plasmatics so like crossover metal punk band from the late 1970s that is you know was sort of deemed shock rock in the same way that people like gg allen were and they did it they did incredible incredibly um theatrical performance things on stage like you know blowing up cars and uh with dynamite and smashing televisions with sledgehammers and stuff but wendy o williams also was known for this incredible chainsaw solo where she would saw a, an electric guitar that was plugged in in half um, with, uh, you know, and well, well, they're playing and just to me, one of the most compelling and, uh, you know, powerful forms of guitar smashing um, starting to be more recognized now in terms of um uh, in terms of like the lists, you know, these like top 10 lists of uh, of like top 10 best guitar smashers, like she's definitely starting to get some attention, but sort of overlooked for a long time where people might not even think of what she was doing as guitar smashing in the same way that they do when you sort of use it to batter the batter <laughs> your stage monitor or something. Um, but she's... Uh, What's so incredible about her, what's so fascinating is the reason that she had for doing it. So like we were talking about um, we were talking about how uh, people were the, the argument that a lot of people were making like, well, the you know, people are really poor. You know, some poor people could use that guitar or like, you know, you should give that guitar to a kid who can't afford to get it. And like that was something that so the the plasmatics did a lot of um television interviews and performances they got a lot of mainstream media coverage for a couple of years there in the early 1980s and um she was asked by it by a uh, by a television presenter the same question like you know a lot of saying like well a lot of people would make the argument that that guitar you you just sliced in half and that television set like you could give those to people who needed them and she interestingly um she turned the conversation to a different direction where she, she actually brought up the reason that um, the reason that the plasmatics were doing that, why they were performing destruction on stage had to do with sort of drawing attention to consumerist society in the United States. So like she actually said, um, well, rape and murder are normalized in American society 
And yet what I'm doing on stage, you know, destroying a guitar is sacrilegious or somehow seen, so, uh, you know, as, as horrible when those forms of violence have been, have been normalized. So it had a really political component to it in that that performed destruction was drawing attention to aspects of American society that that the band was trying to sort of critique or draw, you know, and draw attention to. And that's one of the most interesting um, ways that guitar destruction intersected with like broader kind of forms of politics um, at that time period. Yeah, because correct me if I'm wrong, but she tended to view them, you know, in a way that is probably more accurate, but uh, us lovers of the guitar probably have a hard time coming to terms with, in that she just viewed them as products you know, and and uh, sometimes we will, uh, for lack of a better term, like you know, we we're like some. This one has a soul. This one has a a vibe. And as much as I want right. to believe that, uh, I don't really. At the end of the day, they are inanimate objects. <laughs> you know, and uh, while I do love them, and I've made a career out of talking about them, you know, they're not as important as a person. And that's why some of the accusations of violence that got brought up uh, in basically basically any guitar smashing to- uh, topic that happens in this day and age, there are people who accuse us of promoting violence on our ads. There's people who accuse uh, uh, Mike McCready of uh, engaging in a violent act by doing that. And it's like, well, is it wild? Is it out of control? Is it is it those things? Sure, but. By definition, it's not really violent, you know? Uh, it's not attacking anyone yeah. in particular. Hi, I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Maris Mercury X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate. And 99 preset locations and 33 banks? And something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my talkie? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services, and it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than two bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there.
We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the gear exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. So one of the, you know, that's a really interesting point that you bring up is this idea of violence. So one of the things that, um, Wendy, one of the larger trends that I've actually noticed in looking at different examples of guitar smashing is um, the idea that the people doing it, so Wendy Williams, as an example, was saying, when we destroy objects on stage, when I, you know, when we perform this kind of version of stage violence in, in this musical context, we're actually um, helping the audience and the, we're, the audience that's there and us are sublimating the urge to commit real violence in mm -hmm. the world. So, like... Um, you know, the idea that in sharing that, like, catharsis, like, destroying an instrument, love it or hate it, it's very cathartic. You know, I mean, it's going to create, you know, it, there's energy that comes up in you when you see this happen. And so the argument that she was making was when we do this in this context, we're actually helping to really, like, uh, like, almost like a valve, like a release valve for <laughs> violence. Um but what's so like that's there's that example. But Hendrix said something almost exactly the same thing about um, when he burned a guitar when he was on um, he was on a television show with um, now I'm going to blank on on the television presenter's name. No, I'm not going to try and I'm not going to try and like sit here and remember <laughs> it. Anyway, um, when asked about why he burned why he burned his guitar, he was like, "Well, somebody, you know, he actually brings up domestic violence, particularly where he he said, um, well, somebody might beat their girlfriend, but maybe when they see this happen, this sort of sacrificial performance, this this performed violence." on stage that there's going to be some sort of outlet, um, you know, and I don't know to what extent I'm not going to make a judgment on whether or not that's true or not, but it is an interesting trend that I've noticed that the idea of seeing violence on stage. And I think this goes to like something like a mosh pit too, you know, like where, where you have this kind of energetic release around music, um, that maybe that, that does serve some sort of, that has some power over the way you feel or the way you express mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah, in relation to a mosh pit, that's something that I can definitely <laughs> get on board with because even though I'm way too old to be doing that now, I still do. And uh, I still, for me, it is like one of the most cathartic things. I don't know why. I feel like I should be over that by now at, at my age, but for some reason, like at, at an event with a band that I really, really like 
with other people that really, really like it. And, uh, you know, being able to express yourself in a admittedly somewhat of a violent way. I mean, everybody's there taking care of each other and making sure nobody gets actually hurt, but it is to some degree a level of violence. And I guess one could make the argument against what I've been saying that I guess to some degree, uh, smashing a guitar is somewhat violent. Although I tend to think that another person has to be involved for that to be the case, but I I can, I can, I can see the argument for for why somebody would feel that way. It's definitely an aggressive act. Um, But yeah, I didn't really thought about breaking the instrument itself being cathartic for the musician. That's not not a connection I had make, but it totally makes sense. You get caught up in something and you're just like so, so ecstatic and you just kick things. You jump, you you yell, you scream, you maybe break a guitar. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, so um, another band really well known for smashing their instruments who did it really more consistently than pretty much any other band is Nirvana, you know, where totally they were doing it from like 1988 until Cobain died. Um, And they talked about how um, sometimes they, they they smashed their instruments because they were pissed off about the performance going really badly, like the sound was bad or it was sort of this like reaction against something that they didn't like. But alternatively, like um, Kurt talked about, sometimes he smashed a guitar because the show was going great. So like yeah. he was so overcome with the energy of the show and it being, being really good that that was what led it, that was when they decided to destroy the instruments. So this uh, and you do see that sort of in the reception of people talking about of the musicians themselves talking about why and when they smashed instruments was um, oftentimes it was a lot when there was overcome like a loss of control in some ways but also like the urge to do it sort of took them over and then they did it. You know, I just thought of another example that would be. Uh, very pertinent to the audience of this podcast, which is Oliver from the company Death by Audio. Uh, He has a band called A Place to Bury Strangers. And his whole thing is he brings, like when he does traveling gigs, he brings his guitars, they're usually like Jaguars or Jazzmasters, sort of, uh, in like a suitcase because they're like completely smashed and disassembled. He puts them together before every show and and the ones he's actually playing, he smashes. And then at, before the next show, he puts them back together in some mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. And sometimes he's playing with like half a half of a guitar, like the body's just missing. And and, and uh, you know, it's it. I don't think anybody gets super mad about that because uh, he's doing what he wants with his own property at the end of the day. And uh, you know, it is a. It's a it's a strange topic because I I mean even I where I'm here kind of defending guitar smashing do feel a certain level of like oh uh, don't do it you know yeah but, yeah oh oh you did it ah oh I like it but also I don't like it I don't know what I feel right now um, <laughs> it's it's weird how an object can trigger that in in people it is um the the word that I use to describe it more than anything else is contradictory. You know, like it is mm-hmm. this, even if you you could love it, there's still a part of me, you know, when you see somebody, especially if it's an instrument you care about. Uh, and Cobain is an example of somebody who smashed instruments that he cared about, like that he loved. Like in some cases, when they were just starting off, like in 19, 
1990, there's some great reception from um, Everett True, the British journalist who was sort of friends with them and sort of touring around with them when they were get, becoming big, describes that some nights Cobain would smash a guitar and that was his only guitar. And they were not like, they did not have the money to be buying guitars a bunch. Like, it's not like Paul Stanley where, you know, Ibanez sends him 50 guitars to bring on tour, smash one every night. Cobain was smashing the only instrument that he had and doing it because it felt right in the moment. And yet there's that like contradiction of, well, I don't have an instrument to play at the next gig. And sometimes right. that actually happened where like br- briefly they had another guitarist in early on. So they had two guitarists and one night Kurt smashed a guitar and he didn't have one the next night. So he just sang cause they had another guitar player. Like, so it, that to me was really interesting that people did it even when it like people always, one of the arguments against it is that it's really excessive or like it's a symbol of rock kind of, excess and you know waste and and all of that which you know in some cases that i see why people feel that way but in other cases like or in the case of you know as you're describing with with oliver i might have to ask for an intro by the way because i didn't know that he was that he did that um yeah <laughs> no that's it's awesome pretty, it's pretty i might wild. ask you yeah. to connect me to him but um that's what a lot of people who smashed guitar performers who smashed guitars were putting them back together and like Matt Bell- Matt Bellam- uh, Bellamy from Muse is somebody else who smashes guitars and has said like I'm not smashing a different guitar every night. We're just the neck comes off my guitar and we're putting new necks on it. Like it's the same instrument all the time. So like there's that idea of people just say, oh well, you destroy a guitar and it's gone, and then you know you wasted it. In most cases they're putting the instruments back together and, and using them some more Townsend did it in the sixties and Cobain's tech Ernie Bailey talks about, um, that that was one of the things that was most exciting to him when they were on, when they were doing the in utero tour, like was like, I don't know which guitars I'm going to have to put to get re put back together after this gig. (laughs) Super interesting, right? People don't think about the, like say the guitar tech, if you're a, a big, you know, a famous musician and you're touring with your tech is the person who's doing the like resuscitation or whatever on, on, you know, on your instruments. That was an interesting area of it to me was thinking about like other people involved and what it meant, like outside of the performance itself. Right. And you brought up a really good point that I wanted to make sure we hit on. And I want to hit on it a little more aggressively is that Nirvana and, and other bands were breaking guitars when they were completely broke, when they probably, (laughs) you know, could arguably have been the quote unquote broke kid that, could use a guitar they were actually smashing them while they fit into that category themselves right uh so you know there's no guarantee that if you give the kid the broke (laughs) the broke kid a guitar that he's not also he or she is also not going to smash it (laughs) there's a good chance that they will (laughs) i hope that's what does happen i mean (laughs) yeah that's that's so true But another thing I, I wanted to to this is something that again Scott and I from Stringjoy we talk all the time so I refer to him a lot. Yeah. But uh, he he mentioned you know people don't realize how many guitars there are, 
mm. you know, and I and I refer to some of my friends got a chance to tour Taylor guitars back uh, several years ago. So I imagine their capacity has actually increased since then. Um, but this is back in 2015 or 2016. And at that point, ta- that that Taylor factory was putting out 600 guitars a day. Wow. Yeah. So and that's one manufacturer, you know, don't even get me started on like the Korean. There's a couple Korean companies that make half of the or more of the import guitars that come in under different sub brands and things like that. And, you know, we're talking about thousands of instruments right now. That doesn't mean that those instruments aren't valuable or that they have. I'm not trying to like dismiss them. And as far as like being quality instruments, a lot of them are very, very good guitars. But my point is, is there's probably not probably there's definitely more guitars than there are guitarists in this world by a wide, wide, wide margin. Most of us who get really into this have at least, you know, at least three to five. And then there's me who's just ridiculous, (laughs) you know? Um, So there's, there are a lot of guitars in this world. And while some of them are, valuable and precious either culturally or financially or or emotionally in some cases i have some that i definitely have emotional attachments to yeah definitely uh, uh th- they're not necessarily not in strong supply there are a lot of them in the world and if a few of them get smashed in the name of performance there are still plenty of guitars to be played by plenty of people and um you know, we, we talked about the whole argument of give it to a kid. Well, again, I do understand it, but I also highlighted the problems that occur when you do give it to a kid. Well, that's not the right kid. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, what do you want me to do here? Like, that's that's a ridiculous argument. I think we can all agree with that, but um, no good deed goes unpunished, I suppose. Well, you raise, you raise a really interesting uh, thought experiment, and I'm going to put it out there, and then maybe you'll start to get you know, apologies in advance for this. Um, how many texts you get, you know, that responding <laughs> to this question. All right, but would you be more mad at somebody smashing a Fender Custom Shop guitar that was like a heavy relic that was already had keys dropped on it a thousand times? Um, then you would be at somebody smashing a squire, a made in China squire. Mm, that's a very interesting. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of Fender custom shop guitars out there. They're making them at manufacturing scale. I'm not saying, you know, and they're great guitars, but squire could be a great guitar too. Like it's, I'm curious in terms of how we value these things, whether, you know, what's your, what's your immediately immediate response to that? My immediate response is, yeah, I'd be way more inclined to smash the Squire uh, or be in support of smashing the Squire. But if I extrapolate this out a little bit further, I realize that that, there's not a lot of logic to that other than one costs a lot of money and one costs less money, you know? And that's really the only reason that my gut goes there. It isn't necessarily because you couldn't make fantastic music on either instrument or either of them couldn't inspire a player just as much, you know, you could argue that Squire has, you know, led to more music being created than Fender custom (laughs) shop. And I don't actually think that's a very difficult argument to make. Uh, so yeah, that's a very interesting point. Fender custom shop, heavy relic. That's already been sort of, sort of (laughs) kind of destroyed a little bit already. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Artfully abused already. Um, it's, uh, 
it's a it's an interesting thing to talk about for sure. And I, 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 again, I'll stand by that. I'd be more upset about the custom shop getting smashed, but that's simply because it's more expensive. It's still right. You know, it, I guess in some ways that feels more wasteful, if that makes any sense, because which while certainly if it's swamp ash, yeah, well, yeah, these days, exactly. Um, cause some of these things we can't get back, but at the same time, you know, it, uh, it, it all of the logical reasoning why we might support guitar smashing applies to both instruments. So that is a very interesting thought experiment. And I'm just really going to have to sit down and think about how I feel about that. Cause I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, I don't honestly know how I feel about it either. Like, um, and that's sort of what I've discovered from writing about guitar smashing is I know a lot of people take strong positions and the more I dive into it and the more I sort of look at all these different examples and like things changing over time and like how people have reacted to who does it and who, when they do it. And the sort of, there's some policing and gatekeeping that happens that can be really toxic to dive into, like in the case of Phoebe Bridgers. Um, but I, I find more that I, I'm more fascinated with the contradictions that it brings up. And I don't and like, but my own positions on it seem to just like lower and lower or get like harder to actually define. Like I love it. And at the same time, like I couldn't imagine smashing my own guitars (laughs) because I have a deep because I have a deep relationship with them, as you were saying. And that was actually where what started me on this on this project was um, I was uh, before that I was writing about like, so the chapter that comes before destroying guitars is about the relationships we form with specific guitar models and specific guitars themselves. So like I'm writing about the Fender Telecaster as a case study of like, I love Telecasters actually built one from scratch during COVID. That was like my COVID obsession Mm -hmm. project. Um, and I'm writing about like, you know, people that identify with Telecasters and then the relationships you form with the specific instrument. And yeah, I couldn't imagine, I would never smash my Telecasters because they're, you know, they're like companions almost. It's all, you know, like they're, there are, there are products and the objects, but then there are something more to them, which I think is why people get so, a lot of people get so upset when you see one destroyed is like maybe because we associate, there's one theory. um, There hasn't been that many people who have written like academic or philosophical um, texts about instrument smashing, but there are some. And one theory that one person um, came up with was that it's an honorary person theory. That's the theory is that we look at the instrument as either like an extension of the, the player or as a sort of a, an honorary person itself that we sort of personify the instruments, um, which of course, you know, we do like when people name their guitars and that sort of thing. But that's, that's one of their arguments is like, you shouldn't smash guitars because we see it as an honorary person. And that's why it's so upsetting to people. I sort of argue, I, in, to be honest, argue against that, but I do, it is an interesting perspective. I almost wonder if it's because most of the people who have a visceral reaction to a guitar smash are guitarists themselves. And so I wonder (laughs) if it's more about like, and I say this, including myself in this conversation, guitars, it's not my personality, but it is definitely a large portion of who I identify with guitar (laughs) culture. I am a guitar player. You know, Same. when people ask me what I do, I'm like, uh, I work in the without 
if you know if, if it's somebody i can tell wants to dive deep i'll dive deep but generally i just tell them that i work in the guitar industry you know and so obviously guitar right. is a huge part of my identity i mean look at my clothes right now this is ridiculous Greer amps hat curtis <laughs> novak pickups you know like it's it's a whole it's a whole thing so i think what people feel is maybe not that it's a personification of an actual person but it's almost like that that guitarist that performer is showing disrespect for a part of me because i love guitars so much yeah you know and and yeah. that's it's probably not thought about to that level it's more just like that visceral reaction like oh i just watched something i really care about get destroyed <laughs> you know that that hurts yeah. you know right it and it actually hurts yeah What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. It really does. Yeah. I mean, and also like, one of the things that sort of gets overlooked sometimes is that people have really hurt themselves yes. smashing <laughs> guitars. I'm thinking about like Chris Novoselic on the MTV movie of uh, MTV video awards when he threw it up in the, he threw his bass up in the air and it came down and <laughs> hit him in the head and gave him a concussion and he had to wander off stage. Like, you know, it's, you could really hurt yourself uh, destroying an instrument or smashing up the stage. But yeah, I, I mean, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right is that there is an element of um, it's an affront to things that people, to, to things we really care about, you know, and also uh, an affront. One of the other things I see a lot, especially if you go down the Twitter oh, rabbit boy. hole with the responses to the, to the Phoebe Bridgers smash. And I did that. I went, I read them all and that was, that was not that was not fun. I mean, it, it was really informative, but it was kind of tough to read in some cases. But one of the things people um, pointed out was like, think about all the love and craft and craftsman craftspersonship that went into making that guitar. But what people sort of 
counter arguments were like, no, that's an assembly line, you know, like cranked out manufactured guitar. I think it was even um, Jason Isbell commented um, saying uh, that's like an 85, you know, come on everybody. That was like an $85 guitar that she smashed. Like it's, it's don't take it as seriously as you do. And like that, so it's interesting that that's the other thing is the idea of cra- of of um, craft, or that the guitar itself is almost like an artwork. That's another theory that another sort of music philosopher has is that people we shouldn't smash guitars or smash instruments because um, they're because we think about them as works mm-hmm. of art. But when you're talking about guitars, you know, like we keep coming back to the idea that like these things are assembly line manufactured products manufactured at scale. A lot scale. of them, yeah. It's not the same. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them. I couldn't, you know, you don't tend to see people smashing handmade, you know, like single artisan, you know, you wouldn't probably smash a Danacaster. Like, I don't think that's going to, you're not going to see that happen as often as, you know, a cheap, as a really cheaply made you know, an Amazon instrument or something. So there's, there's two things that you brought up there that I want to touch on. One of them I think is, is more just a general thought about art. You know, I think about like, okay, you shouldn't destroy art. And in general, I agree with that. And I also would agree that guitars, even assembly, assembly line pieces are art forms in design or in, yeah, in a, in a huge array of ways. Right. But at the same time, I think about the the Banksy piece that was sold, I think, a couple years ago. And as soon as the gavel dropped on it, it went through a shredder. You know, <laughs> uh, that is, is it is assumed that Banksy himself, whoever he is, has was in control of yeah. that. And for me, I'm like, on one hand, I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe that thing was destroyed. There's there's multiple ways. Oh, man, I can't believe it was destroyed. That is kind of a, an awesome statement, kind of a really cool statement by him. But also, like, at the same time, now that thing's more valuable than ever because how many Banksy pieces have gotten sold however many times? And I didn't know that they got sold. I didn't care that they got sold. But I definitely heard about that one. And I'm sure that that pile of paper yep. is now worth way more than it was before it got shredded. So, you know, and that's kind of the kiss argument. Like they're selling these things that were not that expensive for thousands of dollars. Now that's just going into their pocket. So whatever, but, but, uh, right. Sometimes they get art gets more valuable when something happens to it outside of what the artist originally did. And we don't have really any control. Sometimes that doesn't make any sense, but it is a real thing. Um, so I've been in touch with, oh, well, sorry, did, did well, you want I to I just think on? that that was just kind of something I wanted to get, just throw out there for people to think about. But I did want to talk about the Phoebe yeah. Bridgers thing. But if you have something else you want to get into first, uh, let's do that. Yeah, I'll just say I'll just say one thing and then we can come back to Bridgers because that's I really want to talk about that as well. Um, I was just going to say that you mentioned art and the idea of um, uh, that, that these things are works of art. So like I've been in touch with the Experience mm-hmm. Music Project yeah. in Seattle. And they've sent me pictures of, they have probably 10 or 12 different guitars that have been destroyed, including Hendrix's Monterey Stratocaster that he burned, um, several um, Cobain things, the one from the Paramount, Live at the Paramount, I think is there. Um, There's also a chunk of a like Gibson style guitar that Wendy O. Williams (laughs) sawed in half. And that's the one I'm actually getting permission to reprint a picture of to just show this chunk of a guitar that she saw. Cause that's to me is like the most baller um, 
example of, but they are, these things have actually become museum pieces, just like that Banksy thing that was destroyed. I mean, and the idea that the fact that it was destroyed contributes to the reason it should be sort of preserved as this like broken object that is, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that to me is, I mean, that's fascinating. And of course those, those instruments that the Experience Music Project have are all on loan or were bought by, you know, from collectors for, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So yeah, it's, it, it's really interesting the gamut that it sort of runs from where the value lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I've actually seen some of those. I've been there a long time ago. I remember seeing some of those. I want to go back. Me too. That place is really cool. Yeah. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, has some too. They have a Mike McCready uh, smash too. <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if maybe there's a lot of those. Out in the world. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, on the Phoebe Bridgers thing, so yeah. that, that ties into actually a comment that I got today on that video where someone commented that like, when Phoebe Bridgers did this, everyone said, you know, donate the guitar to a kid, how horrible, blah, 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 all the negative things that we have talked about it, you know, ad nauseum here. And I actually, I don't respond to all of the comments on that because it's just, it's, it's too many. Usually yeah. I'm big on responding to comments on my Instagram posts because I think that's part of the gig. But uh, on that one, when things go crazy like that, it's just too much to bother like, yeah, there's no way to, you can keep up. I'll be sifting uh, through them all, don't worry, for my research. You know? <laughs> but but they said that when you know, Phoebe Bridgers did it, it wasn't cool, and now, or, and now Mike McCready's doing it, and it's cool. And I commented back to that person. I was like, I think you really need to look at most of this comment thread. Most of this comment thread, it's saying really similar things to what happened when Phoebe did it. And right. uh, I'm not saying at all that there isn't, levels of sexism in the music industry that need addressed or anything like that. But I actually think the guitar smash, it kind of doesn't matter who's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's still at a, this it, point. Like, yeah, it really, uh, it, it, in some people, it still has that super negative uh, or forces that super negative reaction rather. But you mentioned that it was enlightening to go down the Phoebe Bridges Phoebe Bridgers uh, comment rabbit hole. And what, what do you mean by that? So three, three things that I think are particularly um, compelling and important to, to cover about that is one, um, what you, what, what you notice from reading that is that there is in people's minds, a guitar smashing canon. You know, there are people who did it, who did it the best and they're all either old or dead white guys. Um, mm -hmm. it, so it's, it's sort of a, a microcosm of larger arguments that are made about electric guitar history, electric guitar culture and stuff. It's not to say it's, it's not transforming in really positive ways now. Um, but people said like, so people pointed out, um, you saw those sort of arguments you were saying, like that you see on every, uh, every guitar smash where, you know, it's wasteful. You should never do it. You know, it's, it's, it's dumb. It's horrible. But with her, you also saw people saying like posting pictures of Paul of Paul Simonin or Simonin. I'm, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but from the Clash, like the one the the famous bass smash that's on um, London Calling. Oh yeah, um, people posted that. They posted they posted gifts of Hendrix and Townsend, and they basically were saying they don't make rock stars like they used to, or like that these people these these um, rock stars did it. And you, you, you don't get to do it or like you, you, um, 
you you did a bad version of this. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes the arguments were because it's played out because they did it already, and that's like that that she was sort of trespassing on territory that was already staked out is a one way of is one way of thinking about it. Play, played um, out is an argument I could actually understand a little bit. It's been done. Yes, so, def- I, definitely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and but what what so what it also revealed to me, though, was that there is actually people think of guitar smashing in aesthetic terms. So there are there is a hierarchy in people's minds about what constitutes a good guitar smash versus like a bad one, <laughs> you know, like right? a good solo bef- and, and a not not a good solo. So that happened. Actually, I taught a class on electric guitar culture um, a year ago. And my students, when I played for them a bunch of different videos of guitar smashing, they actually ranked them in terms of the ones they liked and the ones they didn't. Um, and Phoebe Bridgers, not my, for my students, but if in the comments about Phoebe Bridgers smash, everyone called it a fail. Everyone said that, you know, like even people who were like, I think you should smash guitars like it's fine. But this particular example, you didn't do a good job. Like people actually thought that that smash was ineffective in some ways. And that to me was really interesting. I don't agree. I actually think it's a great guitar smash. I think it's special actually in some interesting ways. Um, But that sort of jumped out to me. So like one, there was a sort of what felt like gatekeeping um, based on looking at previous um, literature that's been written about um, women in punk and women in uh, different, different studies of um, what it's like to be a female musician working in certain rock spaces mm-hmm. um, in the past, this echoed some of that. Like, I think there are elements of that without a doubt that are happening, not from every negative comment, but certainly from a lot of them. Um, but the aesthetic thing is also interesting. Like, what does it mean to like, aren't all guitar smashes a failure in some sort of way? Or like, you know, like, <laughs> is there how So like, it's again, contradictory. Like it's a good, like, you're destroying something, but you're either doing a good or a bad job at destroying it. It's a weird sort of <laughs> twist to the brain that happens there. That's a really good point. I think that one of the things that is really ironic about it, I think when people say it's a bad guitar smash, <laughs> I think what they mean by that is it doesn't get broken enough. Right, Which exactly. Is, is is kind of funny to think about. You're like, don't break guitars, but if you do it, make sure you really break it. <laughs> right yeah like they don't make guitar like they don't make rock stars like they used to so there's this like idea that that breaking it like truly messing up a guitar like destroying it like mccready did where it like blows up um is somehow more rock and roll than what phoebe bridgers did which was she took a good sized chunk out of that dan electra i'll tell you mm-hmm. um but she did it. She did it in her own way. Like she smashed the guitar the way that she the, the way that she smashed it. She uh, and it didn't it didn't look the same as some other famous guitar smashes. So like for example, Machine Gun Kelly, like not maybe a couple months later, you know, like maybe six months later or something, smashed a guitar at the MTV Movie uh, Video Awards at the end of his performance mm-hmm. and he re- he does really like smash it but i looked for res- i looked for people getting mad and sort of having a twitter storm about him doing it uh and i didn't find it like there it didn't seem to elicit the same reaction which was interesting to me mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's probably because there's a lot of other things to criticize about machine guns. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I completely, I mean, absolutely. It's like, I, oh, I he's, he's gone pop punk, you know, like it's, but it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's that's a whole that's a whole different rabbit hole uh, that we, we could get into that we'll we'll talk for hours and hours about. But yeah, it's a it's 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 interesting that it's it's a seemingly simple act that we could probably talk about for another six hours. Yeah, you know the the ins and outs of it, especially because we're so passionate about guitar and music. You know, it's it's a it's a really interesting thing because yeah you're right there have been other instruments destroyed i remember you know on snl sturgill simpson's organ player jumping on top of his organ and knocking it over and like nobody got really that mad about that they everyone was like that was a great ending to that show and it was uh but like no that hammond was really expensive and he definitely <laughs> smashed more it expensive than the guitars that have been destroyed you know yeah you know? Ex- exactly so uh, this is a, this has been a really fun conversation. I, I, this went exactly as I was hoping that it would. So thank you for coming on and doing this, uh, before we hop off and get into the Patreon section. Um, I would be remiss though, if I didn't ask you the classic questions to wrap this episode yes. up. Okay. All right. Here we, here we go. All right, Kai, awesome. first, what is your favorite boss pedal? So I thought about this. And it took me longer than I was expecting to to come up with the answer I felt I felt comfortable with. But mm-hmm. I've got to say, um, the Dimension C, the Ooh. DC two, mm-hmm. I think the chewy like there's just four buttons and that's it, and then it's got this chewy sort of shimmery, amazing chorus. I, I have the Wazacraft version, and I haven't yet sprung for the for the for the OG version, but I feel like I'm gonna have to at some point. Can't get enough of it. That's a that's a good pull. I really want to get one of those. Every time I play one, I'm like, man, this is just, you know, I like options. I like tweaking, but sometimes it's nice to just let go of that. Like, here's the setting, play with yep. it and make something out of it. You know, just I really go. want the rack version too. Like, I mean, it's the sound of the 80s. Like, it just sounds so good. You just whack that on there. I mean, it's purple rain. Like, that's the sound. Totally. It's so great. Yeah. Good call. Good call. All right, now for the one that gets really dicey, the one that gets people <laughs> fired up. This is probably just about as controversial as uh, guitar smashing, to be honest. So, <laughs> Maybe what, more. Maybe more. What is your favorite kind of pizza? I also thought long and hard about this. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to have to say um, it is like a uh, Neapolitan-style uh, margarita pizza. Mm-hmm. So like wood-fired Ita- the 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 original sort of Italian Naples wood fired with the blistering on the uh, crust and buffalo mozzarella and all that 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 mm-hmm. might have to be my favorite. That, that sounds I I can always go for one of those. I generally try to get something that um has a little bit of protein on it in some shape or form, but sometimes the simplicity of those pies and how complex they can actually be with. you know, relatively a a lot less ingredients. It really is a a special experience. Can I, can I have a, can it, can it be a tie? Can I have like a, a, like an something equally? Can I give two favorites or do I have to, do I have to pick that? Well, okay. So the other, the other, the tie with that is like a very classic New York slice of pepperoni. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh Every time, oh. every time I'll, I'll, you know, that's I could eat it every day. <laughs> oh man. 
I think I know what I'm getting for dinner. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's been a, it's been a it's been a minute since I've had a good slice like that. It's well, the dude, best. The, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? I usually do have people do that before, and I forgot. Sorry, but uh, is there anything you want to plug, or where can people find you, or do you even want to be found? Uh, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. No, I, I would. Lo- I'd love to. First of all, thanks so much for having me on. I mean, it was uh, it was a, a privilege to get to come on. I feel like a little bit of an imposter because I'm out in this like academic world, but uh, to be participating in this kind of you know guitar culture thing is a real treat for me. Um, I also do. So I'm on uh, Instagram at Kai Carson West. Um, I do like big, big ambient board, ambient pedal board stuff on there and things with tape, tape machines and tape loops and stuff. So if, if that's the kind of thing that you're interested in. Oh, I'm in, interested. Uh, yeah, I'm very interested. I know you are for sure. <laughs> uh, we didn't even get a chance to talk about your, your, your amazing record. Oh, thank you so much. Um, so yeah, I'm there. And if you, it, it, you can also hit me up if you're interested in like talking to me about um, guitar smashing, if you have thoughts about it, or if you have examples of guitar smashing that like we didn't talk about here or that you think it's, that you think are important, hit me up in the DMs there. Um, you can also send me an email at um, kaiwest at umich.edu. Um, and uh, yeah, if you, if you're interested in uh gear culture as well i'll be probably soliciting interviews um that's the next thing i'm going to be writing after i finish this guitar smashing stuff so uh yeah Uh, i'm always always happy to talk to people who are who are in this world sweet sweet and uh, i'll put the links to his instagram and that email address in the show notes for anybody that wants to get to that real easy you don't have to swerve off the side of the road and take a note you can Go to that as soon as you're safe and parked. So, dude, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast, and I'm excited to see what we get into on this uh, next portion here. Same. Thank you. Yeah. So, for Kai, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. There you have it, good people. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I really, that was one of my favorite ones in recent memory. That was a really, really fun episode and very, very topical. You know, sometimes we stray from that a little bit, like we do on this week's Patreon. Oh boy, do we get into the weeds. But actually, somehow, Kai and I managed to bring it back to the subject at hand, which is uh, specifically guitar smashing. So, like I said, his info is in the show notes. Give him a follow on the social medias if that is your thing. And if not, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with somebody that you think would love it as much as you do. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate all the patrons supporting the show. I really appreciate really anybody who gives me any amount of their time because there is a lot of stuff you could be doing in this world with it right now, and you're still here listening to me. So since I still have your ears, go do something cool today. Go do something you've been putting off. Go strum that chord write that song, work on things. Just uh, explore out of the box a little bit. All right, consider this your reminder. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com stringjoy 
and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.